and you don't have to have graduate degrees to be a leader. You just have to stand for and with what you care about most. And we need all of us now. So I hope you'll join us because it's the most fulfilling, joyful way to live your life. Hi and welcome everyone. Welcome back to a new episode of the podcast, Gender and Climate. This is Annika. Well, you know, when we talk about the nexus of gender and climate, there is actually little that we can do ourselves. Or at least it seems like. Um, it seems to be abstract what we can do ourselves. Besides and living more climate friendly, to uplift women's voices and to, well, uplift women's representation and put them in decision-making positions. Um, so today we want to dive deep into the topic from, from a different perspective, from a different angle. My guest today is Nina Simons. Nina is an author, social entrepreneur and advocate for reinventing leadership. Nina is the co-founder of Bioneers, which is a nonprofit that uses media to lift up visionary solutions for current social and ecological challenges. And a couple of months ago, she has just published her second book. In this book called Nature, Culture and the Sacred, she shares her life experience concerning the gender climate nexus and about her experience from the last roughly 30 years on how to restore the feminine and co-create a healthy, peaceful and equitable world for all. This being said, hi Nina, I'm so happy to have you here today. I'm so happy to be here with you, Annika. Thank you for inviting me. Thank you for smiling into the camera and thank you for making my evening so good. <laughs> it's lovely to be laughing together to, with you <laughs> it is especially in such a dire time <laughs> yeah exactly well but we're going to be talking today about solutions and your experiences and about everything what you have written in your fantastic book and i'm very curious to know all actually Nina <laughs> and um, yeah but to give us a rough idea of who you actually are may I ask you to introduce yourself and answer my very first question of this podcast in every episode where you are right now and where you actually grew up sure where I am right now is in the southwestern area of the United States, which is not very united right now. And I'm in northern New Mexico. I'm outside of a beautiful little town called Santa Fe, which means holy faith. And I am on land that has been cared for and is sacred to the northern Pueblo peoples, the indigenous peoples who of this land. And I grew up in New York City. Um, so, so I was an urban kid, but very early on, I fell in love with nature. And I used to go to the park when I was a little kid, whenever I was upset and needed to be needed soothing. And, um, and so let's see, I've had a very long and windy career, 
But uh, for the last 32 years, really, I have been um, helping to co-evolve this organization called Bioneers. And Bioneers is not only about lifting up solutions, but it's about helping people understand the interconnectedness of all the issues that we face, because we believe they are all one system. Climate, environment, and equity are inseparable. And so we help people connect the dots and understand how gender and women's leadership is intimately connected with not only climate, but also with economy, with our food system, with water, with uh, education, with how we raise our children, of course. And, uh, and what Bioneers does is to lift up all these visionary leaders to reveal the landscape of a future vision that I believe most of us yearn for. And so um, I've had this opportunity over these 32 years to witness and learn from uh, thousands of very disparate leaders from all walks of life and all ages and all classes and races and disciplines. And it's given me a kind of catbird seat, um, both to learn about the challenges of climate and how we are despoiling our environment, but also more importantly, that there already exist amazing solutions for most of those problems. And when we started Bioneers back in 1990, we started it partly in response to James Hansen sounding the alarm about climate change. And so for 32 years, we've been, we've been seeking to awaken people to how to engage with this massive issue. Um, but we also realized that the media, the mainstream media, mostly covers the bad news and not the solutions and not the innovations. And Annika, as we were just talking about, my parents also were social entrepreneurs and self-starters. And, and I think this is a time when really we're all called into leadership for the earth. And that's a lot of what my book is about. Thank you. <laughs> well, thank you for understanding the importance of the connection between gender and climate. Really, Annika. Sure. <laughs> you inspire yeah. me. We, we, have, we have to talk about it. We have to talk about it, Nina. <laughs> um, Nina, now we know you, you have like 30 plus years of experience in especially this topic we're talking about now um and you have so so many stories you can share and well we agreed on talking about your second book nature culture and the sex well i would like to to ask you if you could share kind of like your learnings from the 20 to 25 to 30 plus years and share your internal awakening to the role that gender has um has played especially in relation to your own sense of purpose of uh, leadership and well also maybe what role pioneers um has in mm -hmm. this regard i think that would be also very interesting to know mm. 
Well, you know, uh, part of what happened for me, Annika, was that um, in the period just after my father died, uh, I was feeling lost and deeply, mm -hmm. deeply sad. Mm -hmm. And uh, somebody loaned me a videotape, tells you how long ago it was, <laughs> of, of a film which listeners can find online because it's available for free online. And it's a film called The Burning Times. And it's a film that was made in 1990 in Canada by a woman filmmaker named Donna Reed. And it tells the story of the three to 400 year period in European history when um, thousands and thousands of women, uh, perhaps as many as several million, were persecuted and tried and often burned for the supposed crime of being witches. And when I saw the film, I was shocked that I hadn't learned about it in school mm -hmm. because I thought uh, it was the first time that certain fears that I held inside me made sense to me. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I saw how seven generations of children watched as their mothers and aunties and grandmothers and sisters, right, were all persecuted. And and after I saw the film, well, I should say, first of all, that when I saw it, I knew that the story of all of that bias against women lived on in my bones. Mm -hmm. And that somehow, even though it was seven or eight hundred years ago, I still carry some of that, mm -hmm. some of that trauma, you know, and science has been proving that intergenerational trauma does it's get happened. carried, yeah, yeah. right? And so after I saw the film, I embarked on a whole body of research because I said, I have to learn, is this true? Is this real? And what I found was that all of these different systems of civilization were transitioned from the purview of women to the purview of men during that time. And what I mean by that is at the very beginning of the burning times, men in Europe, women had more money, had more resources than men. And by the end of the burning times, there was a huge transfer of wealth. There was a big transfer in how we related to the land because mm -hmm. during the time of the burning times, something happened called the enclosure movement where land became privatized mm -hmm. and ownership of land was became the norm instead of collaborative sharing mm -hmm, of, mm -hmm. of the land. Um, medicine, of course, started out as the purview of the herbalists and the midwives. The elder women um, were the healers and they were among the first to be persecuted and tried. And, and um, by the end of the burning times, only men were allowed to practice medicine. And you had to go to college to practice medicine, and only men were allowed to go to college. And in terms of the spirituality, um, there was a transition from a kind of pagan spirituality that involved a direct connection with the earth to a mediated spirituality that was Christianity and 
where women really had no place. And so, um, so I, I was kind of flabbergasted. And what happened for me, Annika, was that I not only began to realize that the fantasy that I had graduated from college with, that I was stepping onto a level playing field was simply not true, but also that, um, that there was a pervasive pattern to all of the challenges that we face, which is that they represent an imbalance of the masculine and the feminine. So, you know, there are certain researchers that maintain that the gender bias is the deepest bias in the human psyche. And that may well be true. But in addition to the gender bias that has to do with women and men in our embodied forms, I believe that fully half of our human qualities have been relegated to the quote feminine and therefore devalued. And our quote masculine qualities have been lauded and appreciated and valued and heightened. And so we have a very lopsided sense of our whole humanity. So, um, so as I convened women leaders over the course of about 20 years, what I found was that um, I had all of these internalized limitations. I had voices inside me that said, you're not smart enough to do that, or you're not analytical enough, or you're not practiced enough, or, you know, I, I had all these you're not enough voices inside me. And I, as I researched, I began to understand that, you know, little boys are encouraged to crow when they have an achievement and to brag about what they are good at, but not little girls. Little girls are typically told to keep it to ourselves, you know, and emotions are, are supposedly sort of relegated to the feminine when in fact, they are a human capacity that nature has endowed us with for very good reason. So I got really interested in how we can decolonize our inner worlds from those beliefs that we may have taken on just because of the cultures we were raised in. And as I gathered these women in small groups to do really deep work together, what I found was that not only was it important to shed the belief systems and the ideas that were keeping us small, but also what I discovered was that women have an amazing capacity to strengthen each other and to accelerate each other's visions and leadership. And so I, I felt like I fell into a rabbit hole of, wow, this gender stuff is so important. And that's really what the first third of the book is about. Thank you. <laughs> um, the point you made that you had all these, you're not enough voices inside you. And um, mm. I think that is a very valid point. And I thank you for making it here and uh, for, for raising it. Because I think many, many women especially have these voices inside of them. And yeah, 
thank you and and thank you very much also for the for the point and for the history about the persecution and burning times because i think that's something that many women don't know about i didn't know in detail about it and there is this book um invisible women from caroline criado perez i highly recommend everybody reading this book and mm-hmm. and that what you just just described with the persecution um that is something concerning the medicine and the ownership of land um i think i mean that's what you're saying always that everything is interconnected and that i think especially these parts may be interconnected i don't know that's just a hypothesis <laughs> but um might might be true might be true you maybe know something about it <laughs> well i mean i do i do believe that it's all interconnected so <laughs> So you're speaking, you're preaching to the converted, dear. <laughs> Nina, I don't know if you know it, but the regular listeners of this podcast, they do. <laughs> um, you, you did a very good job in the beginning already because you started um, telling stories and painting with words. And that is actually something I really, really enjoy. And I'm a huge fan of real life stories. And I love when people share their stories. Um, and in this podcast, of course, we're talking about the nexus of gender and climate. And we've already and very often discussed the fact that women are active agents of change um, concerning, of course, the climate crisis. And we know that stories have the power to to change so, so much. and that stories go literally deep to the heart and to the mind and you as author i guess you know that very well <laughs> <laughs> well like you i'm a great advocate of leadership through storytelling um if i now may ask you to share a story that really impacted you over the years which which story would it be that you would share to point a woman's role um, on the way to to climate justice? Well, I think that the story I would share is one that happened maybe 10 or 12 years ago. I was invited to host a panel at the United Nations Commission on the Status of Women. Mm -hmm. And it was a panel about the... uh, about women and extractive industries globally. Mm -hmm. And so we had, I think, three women on the panel from different nations, but they were mostly um, from the North. They were, you know, a woman from Canada and a woman from the US and I think somebody from Central America, perhaps. And so we had our panel, um, which was very powerful because what I saw and heard was how extractive industries, whether they are oil or gas or mining or fracking um, all over the world or minerals, how they move into a region and what the immediate impacts are on the women of that region and therefore on the communities of that region. And it was very palpable 
But what really stunned me, Annika, was that after the panel, we had a question and answer session. And what happened was that, you know, the very cool thing about the UN Commission on the Status of Women is that women come from all over the world. Mm -hmm. And there were women who stood up to speak, and there must have been 20 or 25 of them from almost all nations. Mm -hmm. And they testified about what had happened in their country, in their community. And basically what they described was that when an extractive corporation wants to move into a region, the first thing that they do is they set up a man camp and that that's temporary housing for men who don't come from that area. Mm -hmm. And they bring in all these men who have no accountability to the land or the people there to begin to uh, set up the land for whatever they're pulling out of it. Mm -hmm. And what happens is that um, there are very high incidents of rape, first mm -hmm. of all, and sex trafficking yeah. in those areas. And, you know, so the women are getting... Are getting demolished basically by these brutalizing men who come from out of town and their men feel helpless to defend them mm -hmm. because the big guys in the man camps have the power and the authority and the men start drinking and before long the whole community has fallen apart and what i realized was that those corporations by the way that they are despoiling the land are using women as a weapon of war mm -hmm. to to um you know to to open access to the earth and it just hit me so hard annika and and i think you know what i found is that not only it not only is it true that women are the most highly impacted by climate change you know, 80% of the people in refu climate refugee camps now are women and children. And, you know, the women are the food growers and the water carriers and the culture keepers, and they're receiving the worst impacts. But not only that, but they also are proving to have the best influence on drawing down carbon out of the atmosphere. Mm -hmm. You know, Paul yeah. Hawkins' book drawdown if you add together the statistics and the studies that have been done um, if you add together women's education women's status in in communities and and nations and uh and women's reproductive rights between the three of them they are among the top two or three solutions for drawing carbon out of the atmosphere and that's huge and yet women are receiving roughly 2% of the philanthropic support globally going to climate justice. So there's this crazy imbalance where you have on the one hand, the worst, most impoverished, horrifying impacts and the greatest solution. And what's in the way between them is gender bias. And that gender bias as I said earlier, there's a, a book called um, 
Women, Sex and World, Sex and World Peace is the name of the book. And it's written by two amazing researchers and they, they say that gender bias is the deepest bias in the human psyche. And I think that may be true. So, you know, what a huge opportunity we have to affect change. The other thing is that all of these studies globally are showing that when you improve the status of women, everything improves. The economy improves and the food security improves and the water, everything. Yeah, everything. And so, you know, part of what I think we have to, um, part of what we have to blow apart is the notion that uh, if women gain status, men lose, because mm -hmm. that's a patriarchal notion of a win-lose paradigm when, or a winner-take-all paradigm. Mm -hmm. You know, when in fact, the more that women gain status, the more everyone benefits. Yeah, it's and a win-win-win situation, basically. Totally, totally. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, there are these parallels between women and the earth and these intuitive connections. I mean, they are real. And, and just as, uh, you know, many of our cultures have been treating the earth as a commodity, uh, many of our cultures are treating women as a commodity. And it has to stop. Yeah, because women are no freeware. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> well, and, and the way that the world works is through reciprocity. And we need to enter into a reciprocal relationship with the earth um, rather than an extractive one. Nina, in your book, um, you also mentioned your relationship particularly to the indigenous worldviews and, and life ways. And you, in the early beginning of our talk, you already mentioned your indigenous um, connection, I would say. Um, how and what would you say we can learn from this, like the indigenous worldviews and, and life ways? Well, you know, in its deepest sense, there are a few lessons that I am distilling um, from many of my mentors. And, and one of them is, you know, in many native cultures, when a baby is born, they become related to a species. So they have a an affiliation, like they're in a clan relationship with the wolves or the trees or the lizards, you know, or the birds. And, um, and so there is a way that from the time any human takes their first breath, they are encouraged to relate to the natural world, which is our mother, you know, they yeah. call it Mother Earth. Yeah, um, Pacha Mama, Mother Earth. Right. Yeah. And as, as a relation, as a, as a relative, And, you know, I've been thinking a lot, Annika, about how what we hold sacred is what we most love. Mm -hmm. And for anyone who has had a parent or a child, you know that your, your relatives are often who you most love. Yeah. And so indigenous peoples remind us that we are living amidst relatives and that there is awareness 
science is proving it all the time, that plants can discern color and that animals have language, you know? And I think if there's one mistake that our Western civilization has made, it's imagining that we are apart from rather than a part of nature. Mm -hmm. And um, there's a, a marvelous YouTube video that I would commend to anyone listening. It's only 11 minutes long and it's called The Mycelium is Listening. And it tells the story about how science has learned do you know, mycelium is the underground web that produces mushrooms when mm -hmm. it fruits, mm -hmm. right? And it's what holds the earth together in many ways and uh, communicates among the plants and among the, the earth's bios, biome. And science has determined that mycelium actually responds to sound frequencies. And not only do they respond to sound frequencies, but the frequencies they respond to the most are the lowest frequencies. And so the sound of a drumbeat, when you think about how many native peoples all over the earth and our ancestors have practiced rituals with drumming to call the rain mm -hmm. and to communicate with nature. So the mycelium is actually listening and responding to a drumbeat. So it's not just a belief system. It's not just some airy fairy thing. It actually is alive and is interacting with us all the time. And I think the, the last thing that I would say is that, you know, most native people that I've encountered, um, peoples, I should say, um, revere balance and wholeness, right? So instead of like Western civilization is based on linear thought and it tends to imagine that if you set a goal and you aim for it, you can get to it in a straight line. But uh, many native cultures are designed around the circle or the sacred hoop. And so there, again, they are emphasizing relationship and interconnectedness and also balance because instead of having a hierarchy, you want everything to be within the circle. And that way you don't leave people behind, you include everyone. And you have a balance of masculine, feminine, of youth and elder, you balance things because nature operates through balance. And so Native peoples often, and certainly many in the Bioneers world, turn to nature to be our teacher and to stop thinking that we can dominate, but instead let's learn from nature because nature knows how to, um, knows how to regenerate without sacrificing our future. And that's what we need to learn. Oh, Nina. I'm getting goosebumps and I could actually listen to this like for hours. I love, I love how you explain it. And um, if I think of myself being like being in a kind of like relationship, I don't know the word. I don't remember mm -hmm. the word you said, but you, you mentioned relationships to lizards and wolves and whatever. I think I would have a 
very strong relationship with trees. <laughs> or trees, her, yeah. Trees or herbs. Uh -huh. I think this is something I would describe myself as. <laughs> Beautiful. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So, Nina, um, we're coming to the end of our of of this interview, and um, having now our discussion in mind, what would be your recommendations to to break the nexus between gender and climate? Oh, let's see. You know, I I want to offer you a suggestion, Annika, which is, I'm not sure that I would say to break the nexus because there is a relationship between gender and climate. Mm -hmm. You don't want to break it. You just want to equalize it, mm -hmm. right? Um, so, I mean, for one thing, I would reframe the climate crisis as climate justice, because climate justice and climate equity includes gender and race and economy you know, and really with the climate crisis, we have the huge disparity between the global north and the global south. The global north producing most of the climate problem and the global south suffering from it. So I think climate equity and climate justice would help us to create that sacred hoop that could encompass everyone because really we have to encompass everyone. And I think the other thing is that I would focus on awakening men to the opportunities and the immense benefits of uh, strengthening gender equity and the leadership of women and men leading more like women. There's another great book that I would um, suggest for listeners, which is called The Athena Doctrine. And it tells the story of an amazing global survey where 66% of the people in the world in 13 nations agreed that the world would be a healthier, happier place if more men led like women. So I think awakening men to the fact that it's not a zero-sum game and that the opportunities to benefit not only all humans but all of life by strengthening the leadership of women in climate justice and investing in women and advocating for women um, would be huge. And uh, there's, there's one more thing that I thought I would close with which is a very beautiful quote, which came from um, the U.S. National Spiritual Assembly of the Baha'i Faith. And it's their metaphor about gender equity. And what they say is the world of humanity is possessed of two wings, the male and the female. So long as these two wings are not equivalent in strength, the bird will not fly. Until womankind reaches the same degree as man, until she enjoys the same arena of activity, extraordinary attainment for humanity will not be realized. Humanity cannot wing its way to heights of real attainment. 
So I think that's what I wanted to offer to close with. Um, and, and as well as an invitation to everyone listening to trust that we are redefining leadership, that it takes as many forms as we are human beings, and that parenting is leadership and making art for what you love is leadership and standing on behalf of what you love and hold most sacred is leadership. And you don't have to be standing out in front and you don't have to have graduate degrees to be a leader. You just have to stand for and with what you care about most. And we need all of us now. So I hope you'll join us because it's the most fulfilling, joyful way to live your life. And thank you, Annika. And thank you, Nina. It was lovely. And I really loved so many things. The picture of the relationships we have within, within us and between us. The picture you just shared with the bird with the two wings. The stories, your personal stories you shared the role equilibrium place and the very very beautiful indigenous worldviews you shared with us mm. thank you so so much nina it was lovely <laughs> and i could and i think i will invite you again for just talking about the indigenous worldviews because i really enjoyed it <laughs> oh i would love it and the trees and the herbs and if you can Let's post a link to Bioneers because there are wonderful, wonderful talks and podcasts on there that listeners will probably really love. I will. I will. Okay. Thanks so much, Annika. <laughs>